want you to think about someone in your life right now who's going through a difficult time. Someone who is suffering, perhaps, and they've got a lot of pain, or they have a lot of hurt, or they have some loss. Someone who's worried, struggling with anxiety, and it's just kind of overbearing to them. And, and they're wondering if they have what it takes. They're wondering if they can meet the, the demands of reality and, and a challenge, or if they're capable for doing things. Some may be struggling with things like uh, choices that they're having or, or a relationship that they're in. And, and it kind of overflows into your life and you're concerned. You have, a, you have a deep care about them. Some are lost and, and you just have a great heart for them to find Christ and to turn their life over to Christ. Think about that person and to think about what happens inside of you when you think about that person. I don't know about you, but with me, I go like if they're going through a financial struggle, I wonder, can I help them? Can I what can I do? And you realize, whoa, that's far beyond my capacity to help them. And and others, it may be going through an emotional problem and you want to bear that with them. But you also realize, wow, I don't know that I have the capacity to help this person. What do you do when you're at the end of yourself and when someone you love and you care for has incredible need and you want it? What do you do? You pray. You pray. Prayer is the greatest thing you can do for the people that you love. And today, as we go into the book of First Thessalonians in First Thessalonians chapter two, we're going to see an apostle Paul who loved the church there. He loved them so much that he was always night and day praying for them. And I just think about all the swirl of things that are happening in our lives. The swirl of things that are happening is I just know you as a congregation. Some of the things you're dealing with with your family. Some of the things you're dealing with your children. Some of the things you're, you're concerned about. And I, you just kind of, they just kind of swirl there. And if you're not praying, guess what they do? They overwhelm you. Well, God has given us a resource that he gave the Apostle Paul to actually care and be the most powerful thing you can do. See, when we pray, pray, prayer moves us. How does it move us? It moves our hearts. It moves our actions. Prayer also moves God, as we read in the scriptures, to, to have his resources, his power applied to their lives. Remember in the th- church in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, Apostle Paul went there, he went there for three weeks, he proclaimed in the synagogue that Jesus had to suffer, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and they believed in Jesus. But the jealous Jews in that environment there wanted to kill him, and so they chased him out. And so he fled, literally fled for his life, 40 miles away, on foot. Think about walking 40 miles away uh, to flee for your life. And, and they wanted him dead so bad, they chased him there to Berea and chased him out of there. So he never was able to go back to the church in Thessalonica at, at the time of this writing and, and actually see how they were doing. He knew they trusted Christ, but he didn't know much. So what do you do? What do you do when you don't know what's, what's going to happen to people? You pray. And so he's going to show us how to do this. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what I really want to call all of us to really do with the people we love is to pray for them. And I think he gives us a, uh, an outline on how to do that. Let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
verse 17. It's a longer passage, so I'm going to ask you, we're not usually, our lives aren't always equipped around listening to someone read this scripture or reading along with this scripture, but this is an ancient practice. And we as the church that has uh, stood for for generations, we want to reconnect with the scriptures today to give us life-giving insight. So read it along with me. I'm going to be reading. Just follow along with me. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when we could bear it no longer, I sent, I, I, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is what he prays. Look at what he prays. Now may God our Father and God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You know, as I read this, I'm reminded of uh, a people that just to be that, that I long to be with. And this year was a great uh, proof text for us. We put two of our boys into the care of our government in basic training down at Lackland Air Force Base. And uh, they signed up with the Kansas Air National Guard here. They're going to serve at the 190th on reserves. And one requirement for that is that they go to basic training. And so in January for James and then in July with Jack... We put them on a plane in Kansas City and they flew down to Lackland and we knew life was going to just break loose for them. Unlike any other time we say goodbye to them, we like when they went to camp, hey, we'll see you next week. Or when they went to college, call us, let us know everything's going okay. And you could even track your kid with find my iPhone, you know, you could follow them around. Well, they didn't have anything. Everything was stripped from them, including their clothes and their hair. And, and everything was taken from them. And I remember getting the call two weeks into an eight and a half week process. Hi, Dad. James, how are you? Is it harder? Is it easy? It's a lot harder. I had no. 
In the second week with Jack, we were going, Jack, how you doing? Dad, it's going okay. What are you guys doing? I said, we're going to the night of worship tonight. I should have never said that because Jack loves to worship. And all of a sudden, the phone got quiet. And he goes, I have so many regrets for joining the Air Force, Dad. And he's just saying this on this phone. And I start to break up and I'm crying there. One of my friends, Greg Pruitt, his son left this week for basic training. And on that first call, one of the guys types in, this is hell. (laughs) So as a parent, you just long to be with your kid when you're going through that. And it's out of your control. The only way I could connect with him is if I went through the Red Cross outside of sending letters. And that's what they all said. Send letters. Send as many letters as you can. They're the greatest time of my day. And I even remember James asking James, what's the best part of basic training? He said, the day you showed up to bring me home. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they so wanted out. Now, the Air Force knows this. And they call it tearing down the individual to build up the team. That's the nice thing for it. Our kids had nothing like this in their history. So it was brand new to them. And it's easy for them just to feel alone and isolated And just a long, and boy, we were at home. Every letter I wrote to the boys, I put 49 days, 30 days, in just seven days. And then it counted the hours until we actually saw them. Because at the eighth and a half week, they have this thing called the Airman's Run. And they bring the families in and give them a pass on the base. And then all the squadrons come running, yelling their jodies, which are like a chance that their squadron knows to keep them into formation. And they come running through these crowds and there's people with banners and everyone's cheering them on. And and this is what I saw. This is what I saw on James's run. He's I'm going to circle him. I didn't recognize him. He didn't have hair. (laughs) And and actually, this is the second time he ran by because I didn't get him the first. Look at my family. They're on the other side there. Why are you on this side, Joe, you asked? Because I illegally crossed the road and wasn't allowed back. So, <laughs> But this is a priceless picture because it just shows my family. All I say, they got the, the head of James that they're waving going, this is what you look like with hair, you know? And we were so excited to them. And after the coin ceremony, a few hours after that, you do the tap out where you go up and they're standing like this and you have to tap them and then they come alive, you know, and everything gets better. Last week we were at Lackland for my second son, Jack, when he went through his and there he is. He actually looked at the camera because I was there screaming, going, Hishma, Hishma, screaming from the stands there. Boy, I'll tell you, you long for moments like this to happen. Those of you who've done it, and I've talked to you in several of these, of these services, you remember this time when everything was restored and we, you were reunited. You know, that's the heart of the Apostle Paul for the church in Thessalonica. He longed to be with them. He loved them. He loved them. And he gives us a picture of what do you do with the people you love? And he teaches some stuff about a ready love, a ready not only for Christ, but a ready to be used by God and that kind of love. And first thing it is, is a ready love is cultivated in relationships. Think about the relationships that Paul's talking about here. He had the relationship with he and Silas and Timothy who set out on the second missionary journey. Acts 17 talks about it and details it. 
And, and they were compelled by the gospel, their love for the Lord, and their desire to give it to people. And that's really what God wants to do. He wants to pour his love through each of us, move it through us out into the people around us. But then he fell in love with this church, these groups of people who turned from gods and from idols to serve the true and living God. And he just loved them. He says words like this that we read. We can't wait. We're eagerly with great desire. In other words, we can't wait to see you. He literally starts out this whole thing with that we were torn away from you. And boy, don't you, if you were torn away from someone, there's that loss and they're longing to be reunited. He desired to see them face to face. Literally, I want to sit down eye to eye. And boy, when you miss someone, you want that time. Just face to face conversation. He talks about their, that they were their joy, their hope. Their crown, they're boasting in the Lord. He says, is it not you? In other words, if Christ were to return and I were to just show him a place where he's really, the gospel is advancing, Thessalonica, that church, man, I just can't wait to see you. And so the relationships that Paul had there, literally, he said, we live so that you'll be standing fast in the Lord, verse 8 says. Let me just ask you a question. Do you have those types of relationships in your life? If you're single, I call them the band of brothers or the sisterhood of believers. We need those people in our lives who bear the burdens of what's happening with us, who can come alongside us and, and point us back to Christ. When we're going through a time of affliction, we go, I don't understand this. Does not make sense? It seems pointless. It seems meaningless. Someone comes alongside you and has a relationship of love to encourage you, to to move you back, to help you endure through trials. But secondly, he shows us that a ready love is crafted through trials. Verses 3 and 4 basically say that that he didn't want them moved by those afflictions. He literally said, we're destined for this. He said, we kept telling you you while we were with you that you are going to suffer. So this shouldn't have taken them by surprise. But why does it take us by surprise? Why is it that here in the United States, when we go through a difficulty, when we go through suffering, when we go through a diagnosis, we go, God doesn't care anymore. Why? Because we tend to think, because we believe so much in the American dream that says God's out for our happiness. So that when anything bad happens to us, we go, it's pointless. God can't do anything with this. And what we see in the scriptures is that's the exact opposite. Actually, the, advance, the gospel advances advances when people suffered for it, when they endured trials, when they actually faced the resistance, that which was against them. And this kingdom, this world is against the kingdom of God. So if we're going to be for the kingdom of God, we are going to face suffering. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.21. He says, for to this you've been called, literally called. That's your vocation in life. What? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you all an example What's that example? Oh, when we follow Jesus, he was rejected. He was, he was crucified. He suffered. He suffered. And as a Christ follower, you too will suffer. It's not going to be abnormal. So don't be shocked. Matter of fact, James would say, consider it all joy when you experience things like this. Trials of all different types of kinds. Now, I don't ever go, God, please give me suffering today. I, I never pray that in the morning. I just know that if I have a theology, if I view God, that suffering is out. And I won't follow him if I have suffering. I'm really going to be limited. Because love is deepened 
when you go through a time of suffering. Some of you, you're looking at me right now, have gone through huge times of suffering, a diagnosis which you didn't know. And, and we got, talked and you know what? I even saw your relationship with your spouse grow through a time like that. I would never pray for something like that to happen, but I'll never despise it when it does happen because God deepens you. He crafts your love when you go through times of trial. Thirdly, already love is covered with prayer. Verses 9 to 13, Paul just prays. He kind of breaks out. And now I pray. And, and may God do these kind of things. And we'll talk about those in a little bit. But it just shows he loved the church. And when, when you love someone, you're called to pray for them. If you're a person who's trusted in Christ, you're called to be a person who prays. Jesus took it to the nth degree in Matthew 5.44 when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, when my enemies come up, I always go, I pray at them. God, get them. Amen. <laughs> it's easy to do that. They take you off. You want them out. You want them out of your way. They're making things uncomfortable. But God says, pray for them, for them. Intercede with God on their behalf. Wow. That's, that's not something I can do on my own. I need God to be redirecting my life away from revenge, away from you know, anger and rage when someone upsets me or even persecutes me. We're called to do that. We're called to pray for them. Why? It's, why is it what we do as followers? Well, number one in the area of love, God loves them a whole lot more than we do. And, and in order to love them, we've got to connect to his love. And he's the one who supplies not only love for them, but love for, for us to love them. God does that. And we need to pray and ask him for that. But God loves them even more than we do. And even the ones who we love, even the ones that you love the most, God loves even more. That's why when my kids were little and I tuck them in bed, I'd always go, there's only one person who loves you more than I do, James or Jack or Nathan. They'd always go, Jesus does. I said, yes, good night. Because I wanted them to know that Jesus loved them more than I do so that they'll turn to Jesus even more than they'll turn to me. That's what we, we do. We covered them with prayer. So why do you pray for people? You see, this is the, this is the pattern of the Apostle Paul. But what do you pray for when you pray for people? I think it's easy to pray, God, get them out, help them, provide whatever they need so that they don't have to suffer anymore. That's, that's kind of our default prayer. But is it the one that Paul used? Is it one that maybe is the heart of God? Because if we're not careful... We'll really, we'll really only say that God can work when times are good. And the whole picture of scripture is that's not true. God works through all circumstances. All things are working for the good. Okay? And, and so God is a good God. He's working even in times of suffering, even in times of trials. So what do you pray for in the people in your lives who are going through difficult times? Number one, Pray that they will be proven in faith. Look what the look at look at what Apostle Paul says, verse ten. He says, "As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith." 
Here he talks about that they were lacking. And when he left them, literally ran for his life, they were wondering, I shared the gospel with you, but it didn't take root. Are they still believing? I mean, that was a resistant town. So resistant for the gospel, they wanted to kill me. Well, they try to kill them. How are they surviving? And Timothy comes back and goes, they aren't just surviving, Paul. They're thriving. They're thriving. Their faith is proven. And Paul goes, yes, that's what we wanted to do. And when he got the report, he said, yes, we live. We live for moments like this, that you are standing firm or fast in the faith. That's what you pray for. It's easy for you to say, God, get them out. But I think it's more godly to pray that God will deepen them through this. Because if it's God's will that we suffer, then we need to accept that. We need to faithfully follow him. Matter of fact, pretty much every New Testament church suffered. You don't have this American dream. People didn't always look like you look when you come to church. They were raggedy. They, they were beaten. Some of many of them lost loved ones to a persecutor. They, they dealt with sickness and disease far beyond which we do. And that takes them at a far earlier age than us. And this is all in God's economy. And they learned to be people of faith. And so do we. So do we. Pray for that. That, that faith would be proven. Because faith has to be tried. How is it tried? Man, I just look over in my life when I've grown in my faith. It's usually been through times of heartbreak or loss, or challenge, or suffering. I also look at times in my faith when I was tempted to depend on myself and no longer trust in God. You know what those times were? When I was successful. When I had a great victory. And I could look in the mirror sometimes and go, hey, you're not doing so bad. And I started to take the glory for what was God's glory. See, those times we need to be proven in faith. Because here's the deal. I'm a church kid. I grew up in the church. My parents met in the same church I grew up in. My mom was 10. My dad was 14. So I am the poster child of what happens to a kid in church, okay? Now, at, at one time, at fourth, I, I didn't grow beyond much my fourth grade year. And I had a fourth grade faith. But I was in junior high. And so I had a lot of stories of the Bible. And I had a pattern of people. And I even had the gospel But my faith wasn't developing to match the trials and the challenges of middle school or high school or college. And I remember I got to college and I was uh, I knew everything I shouldn't do because it was kind of a righteous church. You know, do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't. I knew everything I shouldn't do, but very little about what I should do. And I decided at that time that I wasn't going to chuck my faith as so many people do. I was going to. I was going to pursue Christ and I was going to I was going to really find out. And I I had a time in my college environment where I really just made faith my own. It wasn't my parents anymore. It wasn't my church's own. It it was it was my faith. And then growing, continuing in the church, I learned that it's our faith. We're a family together. But you know what? There's so many kids who leave the church at 16. That's the number one age of people leaving the church in America. Why is that? Well, you get your driver's license. (laughs) So you decide whether or not you want to be here. And usually a 16-year-old, if they're not getting along with a parent who says, get to church, they disagree. And parents don't want to fight that battle. So 16, they usually disengage from the church. And guess when they come back? After they have kids. 
32 years of age. So 16 years are silent years. Think about what you experience from 16 to 32. All the challenges, all the truth claims of this world. You have to battle that. And if all you have is a fourth grade faith, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Our faith has to continue to develop. And those of you who have a deep and proven faith, you can, you can tell me those experiences. Well, I went through this. I went through a relationship ending. I went through losing a loved one. I went through losing a job. I went through losing a dream. And during that time, it was tough. But I hung on to the hand of Jesus. And this is how my faith grew. And you're a testimony of this. I don't even need to preach this to you. You get it. You get it. What do you pray for people you care for? You know, as a parent, I tend to want to be a helicopter, you know, parent who just flies in, flies in and rescues my kids. And I've learned over the years now to prayer for prayer to be my first thought, not my afterthought. Not to be something after you've tried and put all your stuff in, then call on God because he's really busy and it ticks him off to be disturbed. No, no, he is a God who wants to be my first thought. And, and prayer is that way we make him our first thought. So we pray for them to be proven in their faith. Secondly, we pray for those we love to be overflowing in love. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. This, Paul's actually praying that even in a time of affliction, that they would, they would think beyond themselves into the lives of people around them. Wow, this is a radical prayer, isn't it? But think about what this does. The literal words there are increase and abound in love. It's kind of a figurative picture of a pitcher of water being poured out into a glass and it literally not just filling it up, but overflowing and blessing people around it. That's the picture of, of who you are in this world. You're called not only to receive God's love, but not to be a dead end. Let that flow through you into people around you so that everyone is blessed by God's love. Now, this also says something about God, and it means that he has a limitless supply of love. Paul would pray for people like the the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, I pray that you would increase and that you would know the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of God. Because it's inexhaustible. And so when you need more love in your life, who do you call out to? God. When people need more love in their lives, how do you pray for them? You pray for more love. God, show them their love, your love. Give them more of your love today to meet the demands of reality around them. Boy, this is so important. Because it's the, in the mentality of God through prayer that he just goes, ask me, what do you want? Love? Got it. I think about what we ask about from God. There's a whole bunch of things, but not many of us are asking, God, I need more love. I, I need, I need, Lord, please give them more of your love to handle this. They can make loving decisions in the midst of these challenges. So we, we ask God for a prove, to be proven in faith, to be overflowing in love. And then the final thing is pray that they will be godly in character. This is really good. Look at what it says in verse 13. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Look at the target he says there. He prays for their heart. What does the heart have to do with it? 
What does heart have to do with character? It's your motivation. Your heart is your motivation. It, it processes all your motives and it moves and it reflects in your behaviors. But it's at the heart and the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks at the overflow of the heart. The hands work, the overflow of the heart. Everything functions. And so he's praying. He's li- literally asking that God would give them an appetite for the character of God. And why is the character of God so important? Because his character goes beyond his comp- commands. His character moves to his to his command. So when we get a command of tell the truth, don't lie, there's the character of God behind it in that our relationship with God is sustained and, and founded on the reality that God will never say a lie to us. He'd never tell us a lie. It's because the truth is such a value with God. Our relationship when trusting in faith is based on the truth of who God is. Have you ever been lied to? Yeah, you, you have. Do you know the hurt of that? Do you know how a relationship is destroyed through that? Our trust is broken down when you're lied to, when you're deceived, when someone's saying something to you, but you know they're talking behind your back. Well, we've all lived through stuff like that, and relationships are really hard. They have to be founded on truth, and God will never tell a lie. He's founded on truth and righteousness. Why does God say you should forgive? Well, it's based on his character. He's a forgiving God. He's one who loved us and forgave us even before, even before we made ourselves right. Because it says in in our sin, Christ died for us. He forgave us. He's a forgiving God. It doesn't mean he ignores sin. He sees our sin and he provided Jesus the perfect sacrifice to live a life we couldn't live on this earth. To die on a cross to completely satisfy the wrath of God and to be raised on the third day. It's what Paul shared with the church in Thessalonica. And it's what the gospel continues to share with us right now. It's the character of God. He's a forgiving God. Why does it say be generous? Why should we be generous? Well, because God in his character is a generous giving person. He's, he's generous to us. And we bank on that. He's generous in grace. He's generous in resources. He's generous in his love. And it's his character. And we want to reflect that through difficult times and through times of success. Why does it say rejoice when others rejoice? Well, we could be hung up on envy and competitive and being competitive and being jealous when something good happens to someone. But God says, no, no, no. All of heaven celebrates when the kingdom of God advances in your life. Why can't you be a person who reflects the character of God in his celebration when good things happen to the people around you? You see, we want people, we want the people around us to grow in their character, to be godly, to reflect the creator And what does he say here? When God comes at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints, of course, for eternity, we're we're going to be reflecting his character. But right now, church, be godly in character, no matter what you're going through. These are three things we're called to pray for the people we love. Now, I asked you to think about that person who's going through a difficult time. I've asked you to think about a person who may have gone through loss or who may not, may be lost themselves. And I've asked you to think about them. We've shown you from Scripture how to pray for them. And so what we want to do now is to do just that. We want to pray for them. So if everyone would just bow your heads, close your eyes, and get in a time where you're just trying to clear away any distraction of the past week or the future week, just live in the now right now. And lift up that person that came to mind when we started talking this morning. 
Here's what I'd like you to pray for them. Would you pray that as they're going through this time, they would literally be proven in their faith. Lift them up to the Lord. Say, God, help them to grow in faith. If they don't know Christ, Lord, help them to help them to be a person. Open their eyes to see you and to trust you. Pray for them right now. Secondly, pray for them that they would be overflowing in love. Literally pray that they would know that they're loved by God. That they would believe it. And that they would give God's love to the people around them. Finally, pray that they would be godly in character. That God would literally give them an appetite for his righteousness and truth, along with his grace and his mercy. And now I want to make sure everyone in this room is prayed for. So I'm going to pray for you these exact things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who you brought to this place to hear about you this morning. We lift up everything that they're going through. You know it. You see it. You know their heart. You know even their mind. You know their struggle. You know their triumphs. But Lord, through everything, would you move us all to be proven in our faith, to endure through suffering, to hang on to your hand, to to be people who do not waste or wait but people who trust immediately that you would be our first thought to trust, to follow, to obey. Grow us through what we're going through. Heavenly Father, I pray that each person here would overflow in your love, that we would connect to you quickly rather than resorting to ourselves or protecting ourselves, that we would, we would, we would give ourselves up to love others. Thank you for teaching us that it's so much better to give than to receive. And Lord, your love is inexhaustible. It's infinite. And so move us to be people who run to your love and seek your love and are sourced and resourced by your love. Father, also move us to be godly in character. I pray that our hearts would be open before you, that you would create in us an appetite for righteousness and mercy. And that we would be a church that whether you come this afternoon or whether you come in a hundred years with this, with all your saints, we would be a church that is reflecting you in all we do. We trust you for it's in the name of Jesus. I pray. Amen.